Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. Um, I'm here with Anthony Mason, Nicola Boyle, Nicola Boyle, sorry, and Luke Grimes to um, take a look forward at collectives, opt out collective actions in 2022. Now, 2021 was, of course, a, a very big year in um, collective actions, and I think we can fairly describe it as the year that the regime fully took off after a period of um, being in uh, being in the deep freeze after the, the regime was um, introduced in October 2015. So last year we, we had three certification decisions. Merrick's was the BT claim um, and then the trains claims were, were certified as well. We also saw some big certification hearings in the FX claims and the trucks claims as well. There was row row two. And um, despite the fact of the Supreme Court's decision in Merricks at the end of 2020, having um, set the bar for the purposes of, of certification, I think it's fair to say that there are plenty of issues arising, which um, and which will arise, which um, which will still be tested, um, and we'll we'll hopefully talk about some of those today. 2021 also saw um, an additional seven opt-out claims filed, so it was a it was a big year. And 2022 um, looks like it's going to be bigger still, um, as we'll come on to. So let's start with the um, the fact of 2022 likely bringing about the certification decisions in um, FX trucks and Roro. And Anthony, um, if I can start with you and FX. So one of the key issues on FX is the is the carriage fight. Yeah, thanks Lucy and happy new year to, to, to all. Um, as everyone knows on FX, obviously certification is an issue, but also, as Lucy says, carriage. Um, early doors, um, the parties encourage the CAT to take an early decision on carriage and a later decision on certification. But the cat decided that it, that it wanted to take certification and carriage at the same time. Um, I sort of understand that, um, albeit it goes against the approach that certainly the Canadian courts have, have adopted. But the result of that has been um, that because we've had certification and carriage running in, in parallel, um, we've had a huge amount of time and cost expended, particularly around the, the expert evidence. Um, in getting to those certification and, and carriage decisions. Um, and I think what everyone in that would agree, and I suspect even the tribunal would agree in retrospect, is that process has not been a good one. Um, it has just sucked in a huge amount of, as I say, time and cost. Um, and we've ended in a slightly weird world where notwithstanding what Merrick says about certification, the effect of the carriage dispute has effectively been to drag back in a whole lot of issues about merits through the face of the, of the, of the carriage dispute. Um, and I think what everyone, and I certainly say this for the regime's sake, is looking for out of FX is some very clear guidance um, as to how we approach these issues on, on carriage going forward, because they are going to occur again. I think what we can't have for the regime's sake is these sort of battles again, where huge amounts, and, and we, we're talking millions of pounds, um, on each side are expended in getting to the carriage dispute, because if that happens, 
that is going to suck oxygen out of the regime. The funders going to look at that and say, we're not up for that. We, we don't want to spend that money on the double risk. You know, we're taking the risk on the case. We don't then want to take the risk on carriage in a world where we're talking about millions of pounds of risk that go into that carriage dispute. So I do think, and I know Nicola's going to talk about trucks, which is, is not quite the same as a carriage dispute, but it, it has similarities. But I think, as I say, what, what we really need this year out, uh, out of FX is some very clear guidance on this um, so people can understand what goes into a carriage dispute, how it's going to be decided, um, and we don't get into this into the position we've been um, on, on FX. Mm-hmm. And Anthony, it presumably just delays the process as well for the claimants in those claims. With the yeah, because I think we all have lost sense of time, haven't we, through the last uh, 18 months. Um, but I, I think the carriage dispute has been going on for about that long. Um, and you can bet your bottom dollar that whatever the decision is, that someone is going to appeal it um, in some form or another because it's a novel point. Um, and there's going to be a loser in it. So you can imagine we're then going to spend another 18 months in some appellate process. So we'll be three years down the track, which can't be in the interest of the class. Um, Can't be in the interest of the class. Yeah. And it's interesting because, as you say, Anthony, trucks is the other issue where we've had a quasi-carriage dispute. Um, And both that and FX, I think, whilst some of the earlier CPO hearings to take place, the judgments are still awaited and are no doubt proving trickier um, than in some of the other cases. Um, So we're expecting also the trucks decision where there were two claims, both follow on from the EU trucks decision, one proposed on an opt out basis and one on an opt in basis. Um, And so this case is going to obviously be key to where is the cat going to draw the line between an opt-out and opt-in. Is it a a numbers game, depending on the number of claimants affected? Does it depend on the loss or the nature of the claimants? And I think one of the issues we've seen, and I think this also arises in FX, is this question of how is the CAC going to treat businesses in the context of a collective regime? The consumer piece, I think everyone takes as as a given that this is in the nature of the regime. But there's this obviously been a suggestion, I think, by defendants in these cases that businesses should be treated differently. Now, that may be one thing where you're saying um, we've got very large businesses that might sit within a class. But take trucks as an example, where you've obviously got a very, very large number of SMEs. Um, Is it going to be appropriate to suggest that they should be opting in, bringing their own claim with the complication of funding insurance arrangements that they have to sign up to. Um, And I think one of the contrasts you've seen if you look at the group claims in things like trucks where people have brought their own claims is that you have very large companies, the same in FX, who've chosen to go and bring their own claims um, in in a normal group sense. Um, The smaller companies are not doing that because it's too complex, the funding and the costs involved are are putting them off doing so. So there's a real, this is going to be quite a key decision from the CAT, whether it it decides that there's a business consumer division or it looks at it in a more real sense that says if this is about access to justice, we can't just write off, you know, the SME businesses um, that won't otherwise have routes to bring their claims. Um, Anthony, I think that issue also is live in 
FX to some extent. I was going to say that does. I've obviously talked about the carriage dispute rather than certification, but that that issue was certainly pressed hard by the defendants on the certification points on on FX, where they pointed to you know a, a group of large claimants who would mm -hmm. be able to bring their own claims and prayed in aid the Alliance claim, which is an FX um, mm -hmm. claim by by a number of companies. Of course. What we said that's the tail wagging the, the dog because actually if you look at the claimant group on fx the vast majority of that claimant group is small businesses that have really small claims that they certainly wouldn't be able to bring on any sensible basis if you if you um went for an opt on an opt-in rather than an opt-out basis so again it's going to be interesting to see isn't it how the cat approaches that and i'm completely with you nicola there's a danger here that we lose the benefits benefit of the regime for, for SMEs, which would be a real shame because that for me is clearly what Parliament envisaged. It did, it did envisage these claims being brought on, on SMEs. They wouldn't otherwise be able to, to bring the actions. Um, the other interesting thing I thought on trucks was um, between Christmas and New Year, we did see a claim brought by a bunch of local authorities who had clearly decided notwithstanding the two actions before the, before the CAT, decided that they nonetheless wanted to bring their own action. And I do wonder whether that's a sign of, of frustration um, around the length of time it's taking the, the trucks collectives to, to, to move when you compare it to the individual actions, um, which are now stacked up for, for trial. And indeed, the, the first of those, as I understand it, um, has now settled and one can probably anticipate some of the others of those settling. Um, whilst the collectives are still rather sat in the weeds waiting for a decision about which of them is going to, to proceed at very early stages. And I think one of the things hopefully is we're going to get better at in 22 is, is these, these actions moving along much more quickly. Yeah, and I think that has to be right. And, and Luke, I know one of the issues you see in trucks FX um, and MasterCard, in fact, is that you have got this parallel between the collectives and separate actions that are being brought individually and the speed with which that's happening. Yes, and, and the other interesting factor there is how the CAT will approach case management, given the collectives on the one hand and these other individual and group actions on the other. I mean, interchange, there have been proceedings before the High Court and CAT for several years already, and the same applies to trucks. And of course, a key factor in collectives is, is disclosure, where the class rep, particularly in an opt-out claim, is not going to be required to give disclosure, whereas the CAT could, could foreseeably um, order disclosure from these other proceedings, given that it's been provided by the defendants already. So you might see a repackaging of disclosure in that sense. And I, I think these disclosure issues are, are fascinating. Um, you know, the, the interplay between tech trucks, you know, an opt-in and opt-out, a group action context, what disclosure do you, do you get? So when I was at a conference recently when, um, you know, having a discussion with defendants around disclosure and saying, I thought in certainly in an opt-out context, you wouldn't get claimant disclosure. Um, and the defendants almost fell off their chairs at the, the, the thought that that might, might happen. Um, but I don't see how it does happen in an opt-out context. I mean, who, who do you look to? Who do you pick in the class and say, you've got to give disclosure? Um, I, I, so I think we're going to get very material differences between different forms of action and how they actually play out in terms of disclosure and expert evidence. And I think in 22, we're going to see that starting to, to work its way through the, through the system. Yeah, absolutely. And as Luke says, I think how the, how the cat and how the courts deal with the 
um, the coexistence of the individual group claims and the and the collectives is going to be really interesting to watch. Um, we, we will get those certification decisions, I'm sure, in um, in FX and trucks and Roro, and hopefully they'll provide us with the the guidance we need on on carriage and on the opt in opt out issue as well. So I mentioned the fact that um, there were quite a few claims filed in 2021. Some of those are going to have their certification hearings um, in 22, and some of those again are already in the CATS diary, which is looking increasingly full, um, frankly. Luke, do you want to um, just take us through some of the the key themes that um, that flow between those claims that, that are going to be heard in 22? Yes, I mean, 2021 saw claims being brought against um, various big tech companies, so Apple, Google being two obvious candidates, and um, Qualcomm, the US um, chipset manufacturer. Um, there are a few th common themes that run through these claims. I mean, the first one, as I said, they're all big tech, um, which isn't surprising given the importance of the digital economy. The claims are all, all of these claims are for abuses of dominant position. And they're also predominantly standalone in nature. So we're sort of seeing a new chapter almost of private enforcement moving away from the sort of follow on cartel claims, going into this new era of, of abuse of dominance, uh, standalone claims. I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. And no doubt we'll see more of that iceberg be revealed as we progress through 2022 and beyond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that, Luke. I think we're going to see a lot more of these standalone 102 tech claims for some of the reasons you said. I think also from a tactical or strategic perspective, it's much easier to go against a single defendant, um, both from a sort of practicality point of view and certainly from a cost point of view, um, because you really do limit, um, first of all, the amount of costs that's required in the, in the claim, but secondly, most importantly, the adverse cost cover that one needs. Um, because at the moment, it's, it's still very unclear exactly how the regime is going to play out in terms of um, both level of, of costs required, but also then recoverability of costs in certain circumstances at various stages through, through the actions. Um, so certainly from a funder's perspective, the attraction of, of taking one of these standalone 102s and going against a, a single defendant rather than taking a, a cartel like an FX or, or a Roro or, or a Trains where you've got multiple defendants, um, it's just much more attractive from a, from a funder's perspective. Um, and I also think, ironically, there are there are some advantages potentially to, to being on a standalone basis in that context rather than being on a, a follow on basis. Yeah, and I I mean, I think, Anthony, that's it's it's interesting, isn't it, that the cartels, which if you have got a case like a trans or an FX where you've got a decision, they should be a, you know, a strong contender for these collectives. But, but we haven't yet seen the courts really managing to grapple with this issue of how you deal with contribution costs in cartel claims. And this is really coming to the fore in the collective sense when you look at sort of the costs that are driven on the insurance requirements, et cetera, and something like that. Um, because, you know, whether it's actually going to be a bar, as you say, to, to getting collective sort of redress in those cases. Yeah, I mean, you've said for many years, but pre-collective, that one should be allowed to go against a single defendant on a joint and several basis and effectively stand the other cartelists to the side. Um, and I think that becomes even more attractive from a sort of case management um, case perspective in, in collectives. Um, if you could do that, um, then one, you know, I, I sort of feel you'd get more 101s being brought. 
Yeah, or, or even an approach as they've adopted in Germany more recently, where the, the con contribution defendants can have one set of costs between them. Yeah. So at least it gives the claimant some certainty in that situation. Um, I mean, I guess the other thing that's interesting on this, this opt out at the standalone cases is that we're seeing, as you say, Anthony, people not waiting for the regulators. So you actually step away from this question of do you wait for the decision? Um, and, and delay which can come with that. And I think you're also seeing, um, I guess, supplementing the resources that the regulators actually have, because particularly now post-Brexit, the CMA has only got limited resources. Um, and so I think you're seeing people, um, you know, pursuing actions on a standalone basis rather than waiting for the regulator to take action. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, if you look at our, you look at our Apple and Google claims, and they're certainly ahead of the regulatory curve. You know, they're, they're ahead of where the regulators are going to be. Although I suspect the regulators may well catch up. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think another thing that's quite interesting on that score is the extent to which the regulator on some of these standalone cases may choose to try and become involved in some capacity. Um, I'm not sure that's necessarily something that we've come across to date, but um, it seems a, a possibility. Um, yeah, I've certainly had a conference where someone from the CMA spoke loosely and, and said we're watching these cases very carefully and we're sort of reserving our position as to, to what we might do. So I think you're right, you might well see the regulator decide to, to intervene in some of these. Yeah. I mean, I guess, Lucy, the other interplay we've seen this year is the um, compare the market claim <laughs> that was filed um, by the Home Insurance Consumer Action. Um, now, that was issued late last year um, to preserve the, the class's position to bring that claim whilst at the same time the appeal was taking place against the CMA decision and that ran for three weeks in the tribunal. So I guess where you've got these ongoing regulatory investigations you start to get this crossover um, and potential delay whilst you wait for those appeals to run. So that's another one which we'll see hopefully in Q1 as to where that appeal on the CMA case comes out and whether that action can now progress. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things we haven't touched on yet, of course, is the progression of the, the claims that have already been certified. Um, there will be appeals, um, or at least a, a, an appeal in relation to the BT claim. Um, but Luke, Merricks, of course, was, was certified. And so I think I'm right in saying there's a CMC that's been set in um, this month, in fact, on, on that one. Yes, I believe it's um, mid mid January, and of course, Merricks received um, certification in August last year. So it will be interesting to see how um, well we're going to get some insight, I think, from the CAT as to how quickly these claims will progress beyond certification, and that speed factor, of course, will then start to play into the parties' minds when it comes to settlement, and um, particularly in the case of Merricks, where Mastercard has been on the receiving end of various retailer actions. And as I mentioned earlier, if, if they're going to be required to repackage their disclosure, then that disclosure phase, which obviously is, is commonly the sort of slower phase of litigation, if that can be expedited, then that would be that would be great for Mr. Merricks, of course, great for consumers. Um, but it will be interesting to see how the cats actually grapples with that issue. Yeah, and I think the question of where the certification test comes and how low a bar it is, I think can play into this question of settlements. Um, if in the States you see this very long drawn out process 
to get to certification. And then I think once you get to that stage, you start to see the settlements fly. Um, but I think with a very low bar that's being set by the CAT in principle um, on certification, that is going to play into this question of collective settlements. When are when are the defendants going to focus their attention on that? And I, I think this probably will tie into how long are the proceedings going to be once you move them past the certification stage? Um, I mean, I guess one of the factors we're still going to see in cases like BT is these further appeals and potential appeals on interlocutory issues. So how much, you know, how drawn out will the proceedings be? Um, but I think that's going to be a key issue, isn't it, on a defendant looking at a settlement timing, um, the risk of do they want to go ahead to trial and the risk of a judgment or to take matters into their own hands earlier. So, you know, when are we going to see, are we going to see in 2022 that first collective settlement? Well, yeah. that's a $64 million question. Um, <laughs> Anthony, can, can I put that one to you? What should well, we I do? Was just, uh, yeah, I was going to comment on that. It was, I, was, I was surprised, again, at a recent conference by the strength of feeling on the defence um, bar side of people saying exactly what you've said, Nicola, which is this merits test is so low, there's no way we're going to contemplate settlement simply because an action is, is certified. Um, and that does seem to me rather short-sighted. I mean, first of all, obviously what we've got now is the strikeout test. So it's no different from any other bit of litigation. And you don't see people in any other area of commercial litigation saying, well, I'm not going to settle because an action's passed the, you know, the strikeout test, but only just. <laughs> people look at it in a commercial context and decide whether they want to settle it or not against the risk of the, the risk of the litigation. And secondly, obviously in the, in the collective context, there's a huge incentive to settle early doors because we've got this reversion principle built into the rules. Um, and just to remind people about that, that if you go to judgment and you lose, any uh, any of the liability pot that's not claimed goes off the Access to Justice Foundation. If you settle, there's the potential for any pot that's not claimed to go back to the defendant. Um, so that could, in the context of collectives, be really a very significant difference between what you might pay on judgment as, what, as opposed to what you might pay on settlement. So the commercial incentives, let alone the costs involved, as you say, Nicola, of going to, to trial on one of these things, which will be very significant. The commercial incentives should really drive people to try and resolve the, these. So as we see a, a number of these certified in 22, it's going to be very interesting to see whether that penny drops and people are prepared to, 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 to enter into discussions um, and potentially do a settlement. I will, I, will, I will predict that there will be a collective settlement in 22. Um, <laughs> possibly towards the end of the year, but I will predict there'll be a collective settlement. Well, we can make we can make it slightly safer, Anthony, by saying there'll, there'll be an application. For <laughs> <laughs> that might that might be much safer. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll um, we'll hold you to that, and maybe we'll speak again at the same time next year. Um. <laughs> maybe we should have a small wager on it. <laughs> yeah. But it also goes back to the merits of the claims. I mean, they're certified, you know, they, they've survived a strikeout test. A number of them have regulatory decisions behind them that liability has been established. Mm. So, you know, take a normal piece of commercial litigation, you're considering when you want to settle. Um, so suggesting that they're, you know, somehow um, defective just because the bar's low is sort of um, avoiding the issue that they have strong merits. Um, yeah and are ripe for settlement. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, on the balance of probabilities, Anthony's best is probably a, 
a safe one. Um, but we'll see. Um, so plenty, um, plenty in the cat's diary for 2022. Um, I think um, looking back, as I said at the, the start, we've had six years of um, uh, maybe deep freeze was a bit unfair, but it's certainly been pretty slow progress. But last year, um, the regime fully, fully took off in 2022. As I, as I said, it's going to be, it's going to be busy. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think two things I said that least. I mean, first of all, we've talked about you know the menu that's, that already exists. I think we're going to see a bundle more claims uh, issued in in 22. So um, the already busy cat diary is going to be even busier. And I think. Secondly, what's then important about that is, yes, we've got the clear guidance from the Supreme Court on merits about certification, but there's a whole lot of other areas where we need clear guidance if the, if the regime is going to work and work effectively. Um, I mean, I was surprised the Court of Appeal gave permission to appeal in, in BT, which seemed to me really a very straightforward case in which the CAT had given very clear guidance and I think there's a real danger here that the appellate courts re-litigate all of these notwithstanding the very clear guidance we've had from, from Merricks on, on certification. Um, so I hope we, we, you know, we're going to get clear guidance in 22 on a number of these issues out of the out of the cat and the appellate courts are going to take a relatively light touch in the in the light of, of Merricks but maybe that's wishful thinking. Well We'll certainly, we'll certainly see. Um, well, plenty, plenty, there's going to be plenty for us to talk about during the year, I think. That's for sure. There is. There is, absolutely. And yes, we're all looking forward to a, a busy year. Um, so I think all that's left for me to say is thank you um, to you, Anthony, Nicola and Luke for, for discussing, these, uh, discussing these issues. And um, as you say, Anthony, we'll no doubt speak again at some point soon, um, the latest significant development. Thanks all. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.